0: Morning. We are continuing our time in the Psalms. Um, we're calling this, the, this series the Summer of Psalms, and we do this quite often in the summer. We, we take this hymn book that God has given us. Maybe you don't like hymn books, maybe it's just a song book to you. But what God has given us are, are words that we get to sing back to Him, truth that we get to sing back to Him that not only does he hears and He's glorified, but we hear it even as it comes out of our mouths when we remember who God is and what He's done, and the people around us actually hear the good news. This morning we're looking at Psalm 2, and Psalm 2 is going gonna, is gonna to sound like bad news. It's going to sound like bad news to us. It's, it, it sounds like a, a king who, who is not us. And so immediately we're like, eh, I, don't, I don't like the way that sounds. I like to be king. I like to be in control. I like to be the one that makes the rules so that they kind of revolve around me. And so when we hear this, we're, we're going to challenge it some in our own spirits. And so we're begging God that He would do what only He can do today. That He would take what would sound like bad news to the world and to the wicked and make it sound like good news to us who are in Christ Jesus. See, this morning we're talking about the, the good King that we fear and we want. The good King that we fear because He's just, because He's holy, because He's good and righteous. And so we fear Him, but we, those are also the characteristics that we want in a King. And so we're going we're gonna to digest that this morning. And we're going to... Sit in some of that. We're going to look at our lives. How do we rebel against this King that has been set in authority over us because He created the whole world? It's His world. He rules it. He is Lord. How do we rebel against Him? And what has He done about that rebellion? And the beauty of it is, Psalm 2 is written way before Bethlehem happens. Psalm 2 is written before Jesus comes to earth and yet in psalm 2 we're going to see very clearly it points to jesus the anointed one the messiah god's son and there's a call for us in the end of the psalm to repentance for sure it's the hope of god's people that we would have a good king but I think it goes even beyond God's people like as, as we recognize it. I think it goes to all of humanity. There's something that resonates in each of us that says, man, if I, if I could just have a good king that would create safety and peace and rest and satisfaction. And then you look around at the world and you see all of these people that are searching for those things everywhere. They don't even know that they're longing for a good king. And what we have is we have this great story that gets to tell them about the good king. How many of us love Lord of the Rings? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, just me. All right. Lord of the Rings, right? It's it's this hope of a king who is righteous and good that would overthrow the bad kings. Think of any fairy tale that you know of. In the end of the fairy tale, what is it that would bring peace and rest and goodness to to that kingdom is the good king that would come at the end, that would overthrow the bad king. Like every fairy tale has this. So, and we have a bunch of people who have written these fairy tales that don't even acknowledge God and yet there's something in them. So many Disney stories end with, with the happily ever after of a good king who's ruling. And yet many of them would not acknowledge that there is a king. That there is King Jesus. Right? So there's this thing that wells up inside of us and it's because we're created in His image. But like God knew what He was doing when He created us. We are created with a design and a longing to know Him. And yet, so often we put that longing and that desire and that search in other places. So this morning, we're being recalled. We're being reminded, like, where would we go for that good King? We go to Jesus. We go to Yahweh, the Lord, the King of Kings, We're going to see both his power, his righteousness, and his mercy today. And I pray that we would see that. J.V. Fesco has um, a, a great transition for us from Psalm 1 to 2. He says, as we begin our study of Psalm 2, it is helpful to think of Jesus' words to his brothers when they are mockingly encouraging him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles and reveal his identity to the world. My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify of it, that it works, that its works are evil. If we put Jesus' statement to his brothers together with Psalm 1, we see the natural reaction that develops in Psalm 2. In other words, Jesus, the righteous man, contrasts with the world, which is filled with those who hate the instruction of the Lord. If you remember last week, we saw that there's two ways. One that walks in righteousness and one that walks in wickedness. If there's been a way of righteousness established, then that means that everybody who's off that way and outside of that way, we are all walking in the way of the wicked. And so we hate the way of the righteous. He continues, Jesus' righteousness reveals the wickedness of those in the world. And when He does so, they naturally respond with hatred. In this sense, the contrast between the righteous man and the wicked, the two ways, becomes the messianic conflict in Psalm 2. What What would cause those who are on the path of the wicked to be moved to the path of the righteous, and we see it in Psalm 2. This morning as we dive into Psalm 2, um, we're going to beg God, we're going to beg Him to do what only He can do in our hearts, in the hearts of our households, in the hearts of our friends, in the hearts of the people that are gathered here, but not only the people that are gathered here. We're going to beg that God would do this in such a way that we would be able to take this good news that we hear of and remember this morning, and we'd be able to share that with our neighbors that are searching, with our Friends who are lost with our enemies, our coworkers workers like what, whatever it is, whoever's in your life, you have the opportunity to share this good news with. But, but we have to believe that it's good news first. Otherwise, we're not going to share it. So Lord, would you do that in us? Will you pray with me? God, we pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, that's alive and well today, that dwells in the heart of every believer here, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you would stir our hearts to love you, to worship you. Lord, we pray that in Psalm 2 we would see the reality of our wickedness and the reality of our sin, the reality of how we rebel, how we attempt to cast off your rule and your reign in our lives, Lord, and we would remember that you are a good king. A good king who has sent his son and purchased Freedom and life and satisfaction and rest and peace for us. And it's not a rest and peace outside of you, Lord. It's a rest and peace in you. So that we pray that we would uh, believe it today. That we would believe it in such a way that it would make us excited and that we would delight in the law of the Lord, even as we read in Psalm 1 and then that delight would actually cause us to go to a lost and dying world and share this. God, that we would rejoice in our good King today. In Jesus' name, amen. But well, as we said, we're going to begin with some bad news. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3, follow along. It says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It begins with uh, a general people and nations. And so this could be um, specific to some of the nations that were around Israel at the time, but I think that if we we peel back whatever name you want to put on it, there's a, there's a truth that all of us sit in this place of rebellion and of attempting to say, I don't want your rule and reign in my life, God. But it, while well, it begins with a more general, it also says that the really powerful people, the kings and the rulers, are actually plotting together and against God and His anointed one to cast them off. To to toss off the chains that would hold them, their bonds. That they feel enslaved by the law of the Lord. Where where Psalm 1, the author is saying, listen, I delight in the law of the Lord. In verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the righteous one, and on his law he meditates day and night. He sees God's law as this beautiful, life-giving thing. Whereas those outside of Christ would see God's law as this thing that would cause them to to not find satisfaction. The thing that would prohibit them from living in the world. The thing that would prohibit them from having delight. And so this morning, we just need to recognize that if I come to the Word with any sense of delight, it's because God has done a miracle in my heart. He's done a miracle in my heart everyone else who comes outside of the holy spirit dwelling in them sees us and they see it as chains and bonds that are putting on them that are being put on them but if we come and we see it with any sense of delight it's because god has done a work in our heart and we should rejoice like rejoice that you have received grace upon grace upon grace that you would see him as good and right and true Because otherwise we would be like all these other people, these nations that rage, these peoples that plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord's anointed. I, I read verses 1 through 3 and I see, in it, I see this the rebellion. So if you take away three things today, verses 1 through 3 talk about the rebellion. Verses 4 through 9 really point to the response of God. And the last three verses talk about what repentance looks like. And I know that some of you hate alliteration. Randy's downstairs. She hates alliteration. But uh, for me, it helps sometimes. Sometimes it does become this thing that we try to create. But I think for here, if we can remember, rebellion, response, and repentance. Listen, you take that into tomorrow morning. Till a Monday. Man, Monday, we wake up rebellious. We're like, not a Monday. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to go through this whole thing again. I don't want to go to work. So kids say, I don't want to go to school, which is a fight we don't have to have right this second, but a couple months, we're going to have it again. Right? This, this thing that we have where, where we rebel, and we say, no, I want my own way. I want my own rule. I want my own path. And I was thinking about rebellion, and I was thinking about the American Revolution, and I was thinking about... Um, it's it's rebellion unless you win, and if you win, then it's revolution. But if you lose, it was just a rebellion, right? I mean, that's true. It, it all depends on like on the other side of it. What are you going to call it? Well, what we call it is the result of the outcome. And yet, when you look at it, and I'm not I'm not saying anything against what they were doing because they had a bad they had a king who was unfair. Right? And so in those cases, rebellion is what, what you would call for. To throw off the kings who are unfair. But what we want to see today is that we rebel against a good king. And there's a big difference there. And there's a big difference when we rebel against one who is true and just and upright. And so, rebellion could look like revolution. Could look like change in our lives. And we see some of this in our lives today. And again, this is is like Psalm 1 and 2, the entryway into all of the psalms. But then you have these themes picked up throughout the psalms so many different times. There's 150 psalms, so the themes are going to show up over and over. This, This theme of rebellion takes place in Psalm 46, Psalm 46, 6 and 7. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice and the earth melts The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This idea that that we would respond in rebellion. And yet, we have a Lord who is strong enough to put down any rebellion. And it's not the rebellion of an isolated kingdom. It's the rebellion, the mutiny of all humanity. We We don't have to find particulars. We can look at our lives, but we can also go back to Adam and Eve and In the garden, the only two humans rebelled against God. They said, your rule and your authority is not what we want. You said, don't eat of this tree. We want to eat of that tree. And so, Satan comes in. He causes the the lie, plants the seed of the lie, but we take hold of the lie. Like there's something in us that would say, man, we don't want your rule and your reign. And then it goes out and it goes to individual kingdoms who would rebel against God. Psalm 14 and 53 both begin the same way. Verse 1 of each psalm says this The fool says in his heart, There is no God. This is us. In moments where we want to be God, we deny that he exists and that he has authority. I do it every all the time. I like guess I was gonna say every day. It's probably more like hourly, minute. I, I don't know. Talk to my kids, they'll tell you. But but there's this rebellion within me where I get angry or I get frustrated. And you might say, well, anger and frustration, those aren't that's not rebelling against God. Well, if you start to unpack it, it quickly becomes evident that that I'm rebelling against God because I either don't believe that he's good or I don't believe that he's in control. Because if my kids respond to me, and, and they have rebellion, sorry kids, I don't mean to dime me out, but they have rebellion in their hearts, right? and so they rebel against me, well, in my rebellion, I want to control them, I want to manipulate them into my way, and squash whatever it is that's bringing discontent to me, making me feel out of control, so I, I get bigger and I get stronger. Is that trusting and resting in a God who is king and is in authority? No, that's me trying to control. And of course it's going to lead to anger and frustration because it's saying, man, I'm not in control. And so I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to try to wrestle it. I'm going to try to make it happen. And the reality is that if there is a good king, like we see in Psalm 2, I can rest in his rule. I can rest in his timing. I can rest in His plan that He will will save those who He has called. He will change them into His image. Just like hopefully all of you are resting in His plan for me. Right? That that you too are hoping, man, I, I pray that God would change Joel and conform him. And we get to do that together and we get to be patient as God works those things out in our lives. Or, we don't. We become impatient. We get angry and we get frustrated when we try to manipulate and control those situations. That's one way that it happens. I think that there's a bigger way that it's currently happening now. you, You look at culture, and culture would be a place where people say there is no God. There is no God. You cannot tell me what to do. God cannot tell me what to do. These revolutions are taking place in in our culture, in in our places of work, in our schools, in our communities. We see this response to the rule and reign of God, and we see rebellion taking place. Psalm 2, or Psalm 4, sorry, 2 verse 4. We're going to see the response of God to, his re- to rebellion, and then we'll go back and look a little more at what rebellion looks like. It says in Psalm 4, and we're kind of invited into this heavenly discussion that's taking place. How cool is that? Like we have God's word that would invite us even into like intimate discussions between the Father and His Son. Psalm 2, verse 4, actually gives us some insight into God. It says he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord of the Lord holds them in derision. It's kind of hard for us sometimes cuz we think about God and we're like, man, yeah, but he's he's peaceful, he's kind, he's really long suffering, he's patient. He wouldn't he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't laugh at our our rebellion. But what it's saying here is that He laughs because we think that we have the strength to throw off His cords. To throw off anything that He would, he would give to us. He, he laughs because He is King of kings. These kings and these rulers are never told what to do. And so they're trying to respond to God and tell Him, you cannot tell us what to do And God himself laughs that they would even be so vain and so arrogant that they would think that they could tell God what to do. And yet, as I already said, I try to tell God what to do all the time. Or in my frustration, I let him know that I'm not happy with what he's doing. He's not doing it in my timing or in my way. And then I go back to Isaiah 9, and I say, your way... Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. God, you're good. Now I remember that. Why does he laugh? Because he knows that there's a judgment for the wicked. There's a judgment for the wicked. And I think so often in our proclamation of God, we forget that there's a punishment for sin. There's a punishment for those who would continue to walk in the way of the wicked and not trust in the righteous one that we looked at last week. Jesus, the righteous one who walks perfect righteousness and obedience to the Father. The only way to move to that path is in Christ. And if you have not moved to that path, there's a judgment that is coming. A wrath of God that we read about in verses 4-9 through that should, should... terrify us, and actually leave us in a place of, God, that's, that's amazing and, and fearful that You would punish the wicked. That You will speak to them in Your wrath and that You will terrify them in Your fury. We, we've lost an understanding of the holiness of God. It's just true. We come casually. I come casually. Maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody. I'll just speak for myself. I have lost a respect for the holiness of God. I know that Jesus has paid for my sins and I sing the songs and I know it and I believe that it's true. And because of that, it dulls my sense of the the horrid, abominable, Thing that sin is to God. And so I, I, I entertain sin. I let it be around, as we talked about last week, the, the one who walks with sinners, the one who stands with them, the one who sits with them. Like it, it just pervades and it enters in, and I lose my respect and my awe at God's holiness. And that He has promised that sin will be punished. That's how we know He's a good king. If he just let things go, that's not good. If he said it's fine, you you stole some, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Because at what point then does, does he actually take a stand? No, he takes a stand against all sin. All unrighteousness. He says we'll be punished. We'll come under his judgment. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You see, Jesus is the one that God's talking about here. He says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion. God has established a way In a kingdom that is different from your kingdom and my kingdom. It's a kingdom of righteousness. Only the righteous will enter into that kingdom. As soon as he says only the righteous will enter into that kingdom, you and I are all disqualified. None of us get into that kingdom in and of our own righteousness. We can't produce it. We can be as kind, as thoughtful, as loving... As, as whoever is doing that best in here and we still fall short of the righteousness required to enter into the kingdom of God. I want to go back for a minute point to ways that we are rebellious. I've given you a personal example. I think that another example is in our culture that we have rebelled against who God is and what He has said. We try to throw off the chains of the One who created us. What is? What if enough of us buy into this revolution? Like isn't that what you need? In a revolution or in a rebellion, you just need enough people to buy in to where you can overthrow whatever the king or kingdom is. So if enough of us would buy into this idea of rebellion and revolution, could we overthrow God? And, and then we see that God just laughs. No, you can't. But we try to. We're attempting to redefine and revolutionize right now. Our culture is, is, is trying to redefine sexuality and what it is. Right? Even, even the term non-binary is a revulsion, is a, is, a, is a rebellion against the way that God has made us. He said, listen, I made them male and female. In the image of God, they are created And yet, we want to create more terms and more ideas and more possibilities. And we reject God. We reject what He says. And we begin to go through Scripture and we begin to say, well, that's old. We can cast that out. All of it's old. Like, that's the thing. Like, all of it's old. It's all really good and beautiful. And the fact that we're here 2,000 years after it's written, still believing it, still trusting it, says there's truth here. There's something that would be real that we could tangibly take and set our feet on and say, God's way is the best way. And so I'm going to commit to that even when God's way pushes against my way. Because I have been bought with a price. We are attempting to revolutionize and reject. Rebel is the word. Rebel against God. But again, maybe that's not your particular rebellion, but it's easy for us to to take that and say, well, that's bad, but there are so many ways that you and I rebel against God. And, And what he's given us is the church to actually come alongside. And for Matt to say, hey, Joel, Maybe there's some rebellion in your heart against who God is and what He's done. Maybe Eva comes up to me one day and says, hey, you were unkind. Right? And in your, in your lack of kindness, there needs to be repentance. And so together as a church, we get to say, hey, what are, where are the places where we're actually saying, God, I reject you. I rebel against you. Because even as we call that out, we immediately get to come and say, But why would we reject the good king? If we have this good king whose ways are right, who provides peace, who's given us the way to love one another, the way to honor him and glorify him, like if he's done all of those things, why would we reject him? So let's not reject him, let's submit to him. Let's rejoice in him and do it in a way that it doesn't, doesn't feel like um, rebellious submission, because that happens too. but feels like delightful submission, that, that responds in a way that says, God, you're good, and I love your ways. I want to acknowledge him. We have the promise of a better kingdom because we have a better king. Psalm 89.14 says this, talking about the king God Himself. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Write that down. Psalm 89, 14. We talked about this, that the longing of our hearts is a good kingdom. And a good king. Isn't that what this sounds like? Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. In my attempts to be a good parent, I think that uh, if I am consistent with good rules, that my kids would be happy. And I, I think that there's some truth to that. I think that the, it's, it's the actual application of those rules and the way, the way that my sin and my humanity breaks in that is where they get messed up but we have a god who is steadfast in his faithfulness and in his love towards us and his way is righteous and just that's a good god that's a good king that's a king where he doesn't he's not changing with the new fad he's not changing by his whims by his emotions did he get a cup of coffee in the morning like those things don't affect Him. He's steadfast and His rule and His reign is good. Man, that's a kingdom I want to live in. Here's the problem. He's just. He's just. And we just said that none of us are righteous. Well, now we've got a dilemma. Because that, that good kingdom, that, man, that's beautiful. I want to be there, but I can't be in that kingdom because I am not righteous. Righteous. <laughs> but God's so kind. In Psalm 2, He tells us how we enter into that kingdom. This kingdom of righteousness and justice. We entered into this kingdom. The kingdom that belongs to the king of kings, as it says in Revelation 19, talking about the good king, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, here's, here's the reality. Is we have a king who's good and who's just. Meaning that he's going to punish the wicked which is what we want, when we see wickedness, when we see brokenness, we, we long that, that they would be punished. right? There's, there's things that we see going on in the world and we're like, man, that's wrong. Somebody should fix that. That person should not be able to do that. And we long for justice to be exacted. And yet, then we sit and say, man, but I'm wrong. I'm broken. I actually hurt people around me and I should be stopped. Somebody should do something about me and my injustice. And the punishment is is coming for those who are wicked and who are unjust, and we see it. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you ask of me and i will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession verse 9 you shall break them with an iron rod with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel the same king who's good is also the judge he's the one who sits as we saw at the end of verse or chapter 1 therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous this judge decides who is righteous and who is not And so, we need to be made righteous if we would enter into the kingdom of righteousness. The better kingdom looks like a kingdom of Jesus full of people that that look like Jesus. Full of righteous people. This kingdom that we want to enter into. And so how do we enter in? Verse 10 says, now therefore, oh, sorry. Verse ten says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Verse twelve, kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Clearly two paths here. A path of rebellion and rejection. A path that leads to wrath, and then a path of righteousness and refuge. That that path of righteousness and refuge leads into a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of refuge, a kingdom where we are safe, where we find all of our needs and our wants and our desires met by God Himself. This righteous kingdom. How do we get there? In verse 12, it says, kiss the Son. It's a weird term. Kiss the Son. There's an acknowledgement that takes place where we would submit to a lordship. We would surrender. We would say, God, you, you, Your Son, the Anointed One that You have established as the King, I submit to Him. I run to him and, and long to serve him with fear and trembling. I, I want to be in your kingdom. I kiss the son. I acknowledge that he's Lord, that he rules. His son, his beloved, his anointed one. This kissing of the son is like a pledge of fealty, a, a pledge of allegiance to him, a pledge of loyalty. It's, it's a declaration that we make that says, I am not my own. I am His. I kiss the sun. I acknowledge that Jesus has done everything that's required to enter into the righteous way, enter into the righteous kingdom. I acknowledge that He said, I, I've come to establish the kingdom of God. And I want to enter into that kingdom through the Son. So I renounce my ways. I repent of my rebellion. Even as that rebellion is still taking place on a daily basis, like I acknowledge that God, I don't want to rebel against you anymore. I want to find my refuge in you. I want to find my hope in you. I want to rest in you. We kiss the Son because this same Son is the one who will judge, the one who will bring the wrath of God, the punishment. That our sin deserves will be brought by Jesus. We read it in Revelation 19. As we look at Jesus, and we're, sometimes we just have this uh, very beautiful, docile picture of Jesus—the one who says, "Come to me," right? The one who's open and inviting. But listen, when we don't come to Him, when we don't enter in through into His rest through Him. There's going to be a judgment, and we will see Jesus as the righteous judge, the one who out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which will strike down the nations, and he rules them with a rod of iron, and he will crush the vessels of clay. So, some of you today have sat through maybe a lot of sermons, maybe a lot of teaching, maybe you've heard a lot of songs. And yet the reality of the the punishment that is due sin has escaped you. You thought, I'll have time. It's not that big of a deal. I'm going to do my own thing for a little while, and then maybe one day I'll submit to that. Or maybe I won't. The call today is to to submit, to kiss the sun, to say, Lord, you are rule, you are the king. And I submit to your rule and your reign. Because in your rule and your reign, I will find all of my desires, my satisfactions met in you. I will feel loved more than I've ever felt. I will be righteous because of the work that you have done. And so the call then today is to repent. To repent of your rebellion and to turn to Jesus Hebrews twelve, twenty-eight and 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and offer. Our God is a consuming fire. We have to, to turn to God. We enter into this kingdom through the one who has walked perfect righteousness for us. Isaiah 30, verse 18, for those of us who are just wrestling with the idea of of submitting our lives to the Lord, it says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show you mercy. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for Him. The call this morning is from the God of the universe, the good King. And He would say, if you would come, if you would renounce your rebellion, and you would submit to my rule and my reign. You'll find in it the righteousness, the peace, the hope, the joy that you're longing for. You will find Jesus. The One who is righteous. Remember the rebellious people? The ones who would redefine whatever it is. Sexuality. Um, rule, comfort—we are those people. First Corinthians is really clear about it. Verse, uh, chapter six, nine through eleven. It says, or "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Swindlers, man." I think about um, the amount of games that get played in my house and how we all try to manipulate the rules just enough so that we win. Because everybody likes to win. Like, wait a second, you're saying that? And some of these other things that are in this list, they're all the same? Yeah, they're all the same. And all of us have been redeemed and saved out of sin into righteousness. And yet, we... We dabble in it. like That's got to that's stop. There's got to be this desire that says, Lord, I delight in Your ways and I want to walk in them fully. I don't want to run and, and, and uh, mess around with temptation. I want to run to You. I want to be Yours. All of those things. In verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. How do we enter into the righteous kingdom? Through the righteous one. How can we do that? Because when we walk in, when we move into Christ, we say, I am not righteous, and my lack of righteousness, my sin, my rebellion, deserves punishment. It deserves death. It deserves the wrath of God poured out on it. And we say, But God, You took my wrath. Your Son was beaten and crushed and killed for me. He was forsaken so that I would never be forsaken. He's been justified. He's justified me. Like all of that is true. And so I could enter in because my debt is paid. It's paid in full by the One who bore it all to the cross. I am justified. I am sanctified. I'm being washed. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Like all of that is true. How do we enter into the righteous kingdom? We enter in through the righteous one. By finding our identity in Christ. Today might be the day that you say, Man, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of rebelling. It's gotten me nowhere. I want to I rest the righteousness of Christ I want to surrender I want to be righteous because of the work of Jesus today could be the day that you say man that's true and I want to walk in that I think for all of us it's a it's a reminder like what is it that you went through this week that you thought was what made you righteous what did you do are you a good husband good good worker good student kind to your sister, good brother. Like, what is it that you thought, you a righteousness that you thought was bringing you into the righteous kingdom today? Because I guarantee it wasn't righteousness if it was you. But here's the beauty of it. If you saw any righteousness, it's because of what Christ has done. You were reminded again that I'm righteous because of the work of Jesus. And he's working those things out. He's working his righteousness out in my life today. And I get to rejoice in that. Man, God, thank you that I get to see you doing that in me. Thank you that I am in the kingdom of righteousness because of the, right, the work of your righteous Son. Today we need to repent and we need to believe. We need to believe that God is king. We come to God through Christ because he is our king. Isaiah 6. Or 9, 6, and 7 say this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the king that we have. The King Jesus that rules and reigns, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His kingdom looks like this Micah 5 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. We read it in Psalm 89. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. That's the righteous kingdom that Jesus has given us. He is the good King that we would long for. We have to acknowledge Him as King. We have to rejoice in that. And we have to acknowledge Him as good. Come to God through Christ because He is good. This morning, if you still have doubts, I would say, listen, bring your doubts to God and test Him. Try Him. See if He's not good. Listen to this. Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. This morning, we get to take refuge in Christ. Refuge from the, the wrath and the judgment of God? Yes. Also, refuge from just broken reality that we suffer. We get to rest in a king that one day all of these things will be made right. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. I love that the last of that verse is the last that we end with in Psalm 2. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. I pray that we would take refuge in Him Lord, we thank You. God, we pray that we would not take lightly Your justice, Your holiness. That we would not think that sin is no big deal, Lord, but we would remember that it was such a big deal that You sent Your Son into the world that You put on frail humanity. That You walked perfect obedience. And that Jesus, You went to the cross and died a sinner's death for those who are in Christ. That the wrath of God would be laid on God Himself for those who are in You. Lord, may we remember that. May we remember the resurrection that... that Lord, You didn't stay defeated, but You rose and You conquered sin and death. And today, we get to walk in that newness of life, in that victory, Lord. I pray that we would run from sin and run to You, Lord. God, that we would see Your way and we would see the wicked way and that we would have disgust for the wicked way and we would have delight in the way of the Lord. God, because that's... The way that you walked perfect. You you hated sin. You loved sinners beautifully. But you hated sin. And you walked perfect righteousness for us. Lord, may we be image bearers of you. May we look like, talk like, sound like Jesus. Because of the work that you're doing in and to and through us. God, I pray for some here today that, that have never kissed the sun. That have never said, Lord, I surrender. I submit to you. Will you be Lord of my life, King of kings, and Lord of lords? Lord, I pray that we would acknowledge you. I pray for those of us who have said that, and maybe it's been a while, and we've just forgotten, and we've we've tried to rule our own kingdom rather than resting in your good rule. God, we thank you that you are doing all of this for your glory. We pray that we would rejoice even in repentance, that we would rejoice, Lord, and we would love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as ourselves, Lord. Do what only you can do in us today, in Jesus' name, amen.